Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Welcome, everyone, to a special edition of Tunnel Vision. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham. No Keely, you're the first time we're doing Tunnel Vision without uh, Keely. We've got to change that intro up a little bit, but we got uh, Gerard Martinez, follow him on Twitter at GMart Live, and Shotgun Spratling, follow him on Twitter at Shotgun SPR. It's an emergency, not really an emergency, but positive emergency where USC signs uh, Caleb Williams, the uh, former Oklahoma quarterback, the number one player in the NCAA transfer portal, according to 24-7 sports, so we wanted to do that, uh, do a show kind of talking about that. We had a emergency podcast with Shotgun and Chris Trevino and myself earlier today. You can check that out on our feed, but we're also going to do a tunnel vision. We wanted to get Gerard Martinez uh, in- input on all this. We didn't get to talk to him earlier. I just want to let everyone know, uh, if you're not a VIP member to uscfootball.com, tomorrow is National Letter of Intent Day. Up until tomorrow night, we will have 60% off an annual VIP membership, so make sure uh, you get in there and check that out. If you're not a member, you got to jump on the Peristyle. It's the craziest message board around. Me and Gerard's been on that it's more than 15 years. Gerard, I think, uh, talking with all the fans. Oh, so yeah. it's it's been kind of crazy. Definitely more than 15 years, almost 20 years now. Uh, yeah, don't 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 remind me. Don't date us. Uh, but yeah, so make sure my you go goodness, check it. You guys are my goodness. You guys are getting old. We are getting. Well, you've been around a long time too, Shotgun. So the, you know now that Keeley's gone, uh, I guess maybe you're the youngest now, or maybe no, Chris. I guess Chris is. Yeah, Chris is still Chris is still younger than me, um, so I don't have to be the baby of, of the family anymore. But uh, yeah, it, it's it's been crazy. This whole saga of Caleb Williams has been crazy. But we got Gerard Martinez on, who knows all about recruiting sagas. So Gerard, we got to start with just you know where does this fit in the uh, pantheon of USC recruiting sagas? Uh, it's definitely up there. It's different because now we're dealing with two new things that we've never dealt with in college football. First and foremost, the portal, the porthole, as we affectionately call it at uscfootball.com. And that's obviously changing college football. But then you also have NIL, which is changing college football as well. And so you have compounding factors, two different uh, evolutions of college football meeting and Caleb Williams sort of being the, uh, I guess, the temporary um, specimen <laughs> for this experiment that uh, we're looking at when it comes to college football. And so uh, it's ranked up there very, very, very high. It, it was crazy. There was a lot of drama. Uh, there was a lot of Trojan fans uh, crawling out on ledges and trying to find bridges uh, at some point, uh, thinking that maybe he was going to go 
anywhere else. Uh, but at the end of the day, he ends up at USC, which is everybody thought he was going to end up. It was just one of those things that um, it ha- it took a long time to happen. Yeah, it certainly did. And uh, I think, you know, Trojan fans were very happy. It happened really quickly this morning. That's why we did the podcast when we did. We saw that first fight on emoji from the USC football account, then Lincoln Riley. And I was like, all hands on deck. And, uh, you know, Pete Thamel ended up breaking the story and all the information started coming out all at once. So it's been a crazy day. And I think that, you know, kind of put a capper on the transfer portal. I'm going to put up a graphic just to show you a lot of movement um, in the USC transfer portal uh, with players coming in, players going out. And, you know, you knew there was going to be some turnover. Actually, 33 players are gone from the roster that were on the roster last season. And right now there's 13 players that have transferred in plus the uh, eight uh, early, I mean, the early signees from the early signing day. We'll see about tomorrow. I don't, it doesn't look like there's going to be anyone signing tomorrow, but the big news is going to be all the transfers. There was a cool video before we uh, jump into all the other stuff. Let me play this video for you guys. You can kind of see what USC put out. Uh, they're definitely putting a, a lot of chips into this one for uh, Caleb Williams because it's a big signing. So let me play this for you. Out of all the schools, it's going to be USC. Clearly number one. They're phenomenal. I don't think there's any doubt. It's their success at the collegiate level. When you have as many players as they have coming into the NFL at all positions, I don't think there's any way to really combat it. They said we're going to be living like this for the rest of our lives. I grew up not too far from here. And uh, I've been a long time fan of this game. When I used to play quarterback years ago, I used to throw TD passes. I burned the action, but Snoop Dogg is on the field, pecking the club like that. You guys are fired up. I know I am. I took a crap this morning. It was Cardinal Gold. <laughs> Shaka, you got Snoop Dogg, you got Will Ferrell, you got Heisman's. Uh, they're definitely put all their chips in the middle on this one with Caleb Williams. Yeah, and it sounds like Caleb Williams had some input about, hey, what clips we sh- should we pick? So interesting that he knows kind of the, the the lineage of USC with celebrity as well. So, you know, helping out there. Uh, putting together the video, obviously, cool video, getting uh, getting that taken care of for the commitment. And anytime you got Will Ferrell in there and Snoop Dogg, you're going to be having a good video with USC uh, with it. So it, it, it came out really well. He was waiting, and a lot of people – one of my biggest pet peeves of this entire process has been people complaining about Caleb Williams being a drama queen or he's creating so much drama, he didn't do anything. Uh, he waited, he went through the process, and he made his announcement. That's it. Everyone else is the one that created all these deadlines. He's got to be here. This has got to happen, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I think it's very interesting uh, that, that he – you know, didn't make any announcements before that. He technically didn't even break the story. Pete Thamel breaks the story before he even makes the announcement. And so he makes his announcement and comes through with that. And USC now has their quarterback for the next couple of years. Um, Gerard, I wanted to talk to you about the timing of all this because Shotgun talked about it. There wasn't any time frame. There is an academic calendar. Obviously, USC and you need it to be registered for classes on Friday. And according to the Thamel story, uh, Caleb Williams did register on Friday and he's starting in-person classes today, there was tweets uh, showing him pictures going to school, you know, backpack, everything going out to uh, to classes, first day of in-person class on Tuesday, because they are doing in-person classes now after starting the semester off remotely. But what do you make of this? I mean, 
they did take, you know, all the allotted time, I guess you could say, to uh, and then even a little bit extra to make the announcement. But was it, you know, build? Was it the build up? Did you not want to have it happen on a Friday where, like, normally there's like a news dump that you things you don't want to get out there? It seemed like they wanted to create as much hype as possible, and maybe waiting until this Tuesday morning was the way to do that. Yeah, we've already gotten quite a few questions about, um, you know, what happened in the background. You know, what was going on with the wait and the process. And we'll have something in the war room. Uh, to be honest with you, there's so much in terms of different sources and different perspectives on this and how it really went down. Um, you had the perspective from, obviously, USC sources and really more peripheral sources. You know, we're talking about players and player parents and people that are not directly involved in the circle of Caleb Williams. And you had Caleb Williams' circle. You had his dad who was uh, talking to various people and saying various things. And then you had uh, the other school's perspective on things. And there was a lot of conflicting information on uh, certain elements of the recruitment of Caleb Williams. And then you had the NIL aspect of things that went on. And throughout the process, Caleb Williams and his family said that the NIL was not a major factor in his decision. And, you know, his dad is a very successful businessman. Uh, his mom is, is very successful as well. She does nails for various famous people up and down the East Coast. Uh, they are okay financially. This was not something that was going to make or break them. So from that perspective, I think NIL probably was a little overblown. At the same time, it was a factor. It was something that they considered. They understand that name image likeness is going to be a big deal. And like I said at the beginning, He's sort of at the forefront of this. Caleb Williams is a bit of a catalyst and a bit of a guinea pig as well as to how much money initially can a college player make. And so you now have an industry of sources that are from the private sector that are dealing with these college uh, players and are looking at them as a potential brand. And so there was a lot of that when it came to Caleb Williams and how that was going to impact his decision on a school. So there's a lot of stuff to uh, sort of unpack with that, and, and we're not going to get all into it tonight. And like I said, it's it's probably better for a war room. Uh, it's probably better for me to sit down and actually write it than talk about it because, like I said, you've got people talking from all kinds of different perspectives and having different opinions about things. And again, there's a lot of peripheral about it. Early on, a lot of people thought, done deal to USC, is going to USC, and those people turned out to be right. Now, whether they were right because he was a done deal initially or it just happened that, you know, throughout it all, he ends up at USC and they were right. Um, there are other people who thought that there was a process and UCLA was very involved. UCLA came up quite a bit. UCLA came up quite a bit from Caleb's father. Uh, there was obviously some talk about Wisconsin for a while, Georgia for a while, uh, how much they were really involved remains to be seen. He really only took one visit, maybe two, kind of depends on what you believe with UCLA. There was some obvious talk that he was on campus and he actually met with the coaching staff. That story changed because legally he was not supposed to be on campus with UCLA. Again, one of these weird rules and we're kind of learning as it goes on with transfers in the transfer portal is that if you have a seven-day window out from when you're enrolling, you can bring kids in on an official visit. Well, USC's Enrollment window cut into the actual period of recruiting. So 
they were still able to bring in official visitors, but no unofficial visitors, as long as those official visitors were transfers and they were going to enroll for the spring semester. UCLA, being on the quarter system, did not have that window. So he could not be on campus officially or unofficially. It was a dead period for them. So the story sort of chipped and shift to, well, he was on campus. He met with the coaches. He really likes the coaches, too. Well, he was on campus with just Zach Charbonnet and took him on a tour of the campus facilities and met with the AD. And then it was, well, no, he didn't meet with the AD either because the AD was part of the staff. It turned out to be just Zoom meetings. So at the end of the day, we don't know exactly what the story was. Maybe it was just Zoom meetings. But UCLA did get a lot of talk and a lot of conversation with Caleb Williams throughout. Uh, the Wisconsin thing was there and was kind of there early, but I don't know how serious that really was. Um, but, you know, I think what we're learning with these transfers is that, A, it's usually a tight group of people, and you're involving agents, and you're involving lawyers, and you're involving people from a professional area that it is financially beneficial for them to keep quiet because you are going to have impacts with NIL and other things that financially are going to influence uh, where a player goes. And we saw, you know, today on 24-7 Sports, they had a really good interview with Lane Kiffin, and he talked a lot about the, the transfer portal, the NLI, and how he was almost talking about maybe there should be a salary cap when it came to NLI. Now, that's obviously uh, a different conversation and a different debate for another time, but certainly you're already seeing the coaches – kind of taking a step back and Ole Miss is beneficial at this point when it comes to the portal there number two in the nation they were number one before Caleb Williams commit to USC yeah NIL NIL it's tomorrow National Letter of Intent Day NIL is the name NIL, NIL, NIL yeah it's for very... so many years it's been NLI and now it's NIL yeah that's confusing Shotgun did you have any thoughts on the, the the timing I know you said it's not there wasn't any time frame right I mean yeah, I mean, he was just going through the process. Now, would USC have liked to get him in earlier? Sure. Would the USC fans, you know, so they could put away their the barf bag they've had beside their bed waiting for, you know, the, the other shoe to fall and them not to get Caleb Williams? Sure. But USC got Caleb Williams. He's coming to USC. Um, you know, I, I think that it's – it's something that he had to go through his process and go through it. And maybe the USC coaches, once it started lingering on, it's like, let's just build it up. You know, he could have easily made a commitment earlier. He visited with Mario Williams, which we saw in the clips from in his video and some of the, the photos that were released afterwards from Mario Williams. So Mario Williams committed two weeks ago, basically, two and a half weeks ago. So could Caleb Williams have committed this? Sure. But they have him in the class now. Let's not worry about the timing of it, whether it was this week or last week or whatever. Uh, you can leave all that to Oklahoma fans, and they can be upset about timings and different things. But USC fans should look and say, okay, where do we go from here? Getting Kayla Williams is monumental because, one, they need depth for the offense, I mean, for the quarterback room. They needed to add another scholarship player there. Okay, you got that. You got a difference maker in Caleb Williams. He already knows the offense. Should help expedite the offensive, you know, the the learning uh, time frame for everyone around him. The center, he's going to be able to help make calls up front because he knows the offense. Uh, you know, has a year in the offense. Now, where does USC go from here? Caleb Williams is everyone is attracted to him. He's just like it just it, he's the light that everyone else is the mosquitoes coming towards. Um, you know, he he just uh, brings everyone closer to him. Um, it, you know, it, it recruits across the nation. When he was being recruited, you know, he was able to recruit a number of players to Oklahoma. There's a reason Little Trail McCutcheon. There's a reason that Mario Williams are at USC. 
Caleb Williams is a big part of that. I think they knew that Caleb Williams was in the mix, and that was part of the reason why they decided to come to USC. Now, who else is going to try to come with him? If you're USC, you say, hey, if you're one of the coaches, you're looking up Dave Iuli, you're looking up Devin Campbell, you're looking up all these guys that are probably not committing to USC tomorrow, but you're throwing out pictures of Caleb Williams in a USC jersey and saying, wouldn't it be nice to block for this guy? You know, wouldn't it be nice to see where this guy could take USC the next couple of years and where you could be uh, helping out? Uh, you know, those type of things. And then you're looking at Josh Connerly. You're looking at some of those transfer portal guys as well. There's still some offensive linemen in the transfer portal. And it's not just on the offensive side. Obviously, USC's done a really good job with skilled players. And we're going to get into questions. I know there's a couple of people really upset. Where's the lineman? Where's the beef? Where is it at? Really? You're complaining today. Today. <laughs> We're not talking about every other day that we've talked about transfer additions or anything and, oh, USC got a running back or what. You're talking about the number one transfer in the nation and you're complaining, where's the beef at? Even though USC has added Bobby Haskins, who's going to be a starter on the offensive line, a multiple-year starter at Virginia at left tackle, even though USC has added multiple defensive tackles to the roster, I guess we're forgetting about those guys, but where's the beef today? No, today is about Caleb Williams. Huge pickup for USC. Doesn't matter the time frame. It matters what steps USC can now build on from here. Yeah, I agree. Um, Gerard, you talked about the the rankings, and uh, you know USC only signed eight high school players uh, with national letter of intent day tomorrow. Probably not get anyone. You know, Josh Connerly is not going to sign until March or so. Um, but you know, with eight guys, you bring in thirteen out of the transfer portal, and this is the first year twenty four seven Sports has offered a combined high school signing plus transfer portal rankings because those are players you're adding to your roster, former five-star players, four-star players, whatever it is. Uh, USC, like you mentioned, had the number one uh, transfer class. Then Lane Kiffin signs the two USC guys, Michael Trigg and Jackson Dart, and Old Miss jumps ahead. They start posting some social media stuff about transfer portal king and things like that. Then the big one lands, Caleb Williams, and USC's back to the number one transfer class, uh, but also uh, now a top 10 overall recruiting class, which is pretty amazing considering that Lincoln Riley had a few weeks on the job, one weekend of any official visitors. Um, I don't think we're going to see a lot of transfer portal news now because of the end of the academic calendar. You're going to go into the spring semester. Likely again in May, when the people can enroll in the summer, you'll start to see some more action there. But overall thoughts on the way he was able to build this class and now get a top 10 combined class. Be yeah. before, Ger before Gerard jumps in, um, it should be noted that good job by Lane Kiffin with his timing. If he doesn't get his, uh, you know, his Portal King graphic up yesterday, today it's obsolete. So you got to you got to make sure you're on, on top of things there. Yeah, you got to you got to make sure you can get in those punches when you can get them in. <laughs> and he uh, probably felt like, oh, okay, you know, the the, the, the hourglass, uh, the sand is ticking on uh, my chance to be able to uh, gloat a little bit. And you know what? There may be some more. Transfers coming for Ole Miss. I can tell you this: there's going to be some more transfers coming for USC. Uh, this, I don't want to say this was just the beginning because certainly you get 13 players out of the portal. It's not the beginning, but we might only be through the midway point. Uh, I've talked to sources that said that USC could take 10, 20 plus, you know, maybe closer to 30 transfers uh, this year. So going all the way from you know we get out of that uh, the sort of you know the 21. Um, season class into the 22 and taking us all the way into June, July. Um, you might have guys that are, uh, you know, right up against fall camp. 
uh, enrolling. And this is what changes now. This is why 24-7 has gone to an actual overall count because these guys are going to be immediate impact players. And it is somewhat of a class. It's a bunch of new guys coming in that are going to change how the football team plays next fall. And so, yeah, this is it. They've done well. Uh, I, I understand, you know, USC fans are, are very cognizant of the offensive line play. Uh, interestingly enough, the offensive line play has been a question that I brought up with several sources. And Lincoln Riley, evidently, and Josh Henson are pretty optimistic about the offensive line. And, and we saw this with the PPF rankings, where USC ranked number one uh, in uh, offensive line grades, which surprised a lot of people. But, you know, I think you're looking overall at how the offense played, and certainly the offensive line has had its issues. And USC, I think, just in terms of schematically, became very one-dimensional, uh, certainly in that uh, shortened season where they were running for something like 3.6 yards a carry, and they really couldn't run on short yardage. They improved that at the end of the year. I think a lot of that had to do with Clay McGuire, understanding the offense, understanding sort of the roots of the air raid and how to maybe philosophically be able to run the ball from the air raid. Uh, they didn't really have that with Tim Drevno. So I think towards the end of the year, they improved a lot on that, and that improved their grade. They still had issues. You know, they still had some problems keeping the quarterback up. But certainly when you bring Caleb Williams into the mix, you're bringing an entirely different quarterback and really a quarterback that fits that system much better. A guy who's mobile and not necessarily just mobile from the standpoint of running by design. He can do that and he has done that for Oklahoma. But more to the point, he can move the pocket and he can extend plays. And USC hasn't really had that with Keaton Slovin. They didn't really have that with JT Daniels. They had a little bit of that with Jackson Dart when he came yeah. in, a little bit of that with Matt Fink when he came in. But now you're adding a dimension that they have lacked for so long and really since Sam Darnold. And it really kind of it stumped me why they didn't necessarily stick with that formula when they saw how successful Sam Darnold was going outside the lines of the offense. And so now you have another quarterback like that uh, who can sort of freelance a little bit, extend plays, and give the offensive line a little more support because that's one of those things. When you have a quarterback that's mobile, you don't put as much pressure on your left tackle. You don't put as much pressure on your offensive line and pass protection in general. And at the same time, you put more pressure on the defense. So everybody's talking about, oh, USC still doesn't have an offensive line. A lot of people from Oklahoma were saying he's he's not going to go to, to USC. He's going to get you know completely dismantled trying to – throw the ball behind that offensive line, which is so bad. But, uh, you know, when you look between the lines a little bit and you look a little harder at the de uh, the details, you know, not all the statistics tell the, t tell the story entirely of that offensive line. And like I said, I've talked to some sources that say that uh, Lincoln Riley and, and Josh Henson are actually uh, a lot more optimistic about the trench play that USC has coming than maybe even the fan base does. Yeah, we, we talked about that on the podcast today with, you know, two of the bigger recruits, you know, getting like a Brett Nealon and uh... – Andrew Voorhees to come back. Um, we've seen key guys at different positions. If you put up this list, I mean, a lot of guys that you see there that could have been contributing end up leaving to get those two guys shotgun on the offensive line along with Bobby Haskins. I mean, it just, it, I think that's a huge boost uh, for Josh Henson and then the USC offensive line. Yeah, definitely. And I think you got to give Clay McGuire a ton of credit for what he did last year with the offensive line. Can they build on that going forward? Gerard, they were even better than than what you're saying as far as short yardage. Um, you know, it wasn't a gradual increase as, as the year went along. They were good all year in short yardage situations. They were 76% uh, converting anything third and three or under. When they ran the ball in those situations, 
they were 32 of 40. And I think it was probably four or five of those they picked up on fourth down too. So some of those times they're planning to go for it anyways. They were successful when they were in short yard situation, completely different than the numbers they had in previous years in the Graham Harrell offense. They actually got some push, went forward. And I just felt like they, they understood their assignments a lot more. And maybe that's just, you know, just on Clay McGuire and maybe it reverts. But I think it's the fact that you had a guy like Andrew Voorhees who is so experienced that you didn't have in 2019. He was coming back in 2020. He's getting back in a different spot. Everyone was basically learning a new spot in 2020 uh, with Andrew, with uh, Elijah Vera Tucker kicking out the left tackle, with everyone moving on the other side of the line. 2021, everyone gets their spots identified. And now you do lose Jalen McKenzie. You do lose uh, Liam Jimmins. And Jalen McKenzie just went from all-star game to all-star game. Give him a little bit of credit for what he's doing out there and, you know, putting up some some good tape right now. So maybe he gets an opportunity in the NFL going forward. But, you know, the guys that are returning, having Brett and Elon, having someone that has seen so much football, so many different fronts to be able to help identify, even still a young quarterback in Caleb Williams. And Caleb Williams is going to be, help, be able to help him out in the same way in reverse. But then to have uh, Andrew Voorhees and a guy that can give you positional versatility. He's played left guard. He's played left tackle. He's played right guard. He's played right tackle. So he's played four different positions, and he excelled last year at both left guard and left tackle. Now you add Bobby Haskins in the mix, makes a guy who's been a multiple, uh, you know, like I said, a multi-year starter. Uh, I think he started at left tackle for Virginia last year. And I think you're going to see a big improvement from Cortland Ford and Jonah Monheim, guys that got playing time early last year, but the coaching staff realized we got to play our older guys. That's given us the best chance for success. And those two guys, I've been told that Cortland Ford has been a leader in the locker room during the workouts and stuff. So he's taking a step forward there. I expect Jonah Monheim to take a big step forward. He's a constant worker, a grinder. I've seen him improve every year the last four or five years that I've known him. So I think that you're going to have some pieces there. Now, do you still need to add some pieces? Yes, you need to add some depth because after you go five or six deep, when you add Justin Dietrich in the mix there, where are you turning to? You know, is Mason Murphy ready? Is a Ty Buchanan ready? Is one of those 2020 guys ready to step up from the two that we already mentioned? You know, those are big question marks. So I think if they can add another offensive lineman from the from the portal, they're going to. And hey, there's a couple guys still out there that they're looking at, they're working on. You got the kid from uh, from Tennessee. You got uh, you know a couple other guys that are out there that they've offered. But there will also be some names that go in after the spring period. And Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma had success recruiting offensive linemen in the transfer portal, so don't count out adding more beef to the front. But yeah. is it important to get a quarterback, a potential generational? I don't know if he's generational. I don't know if I want to put that label on, on Caleb Williams, but a dynamic front runner for the Heisman type of quarterback? Yeah, that's pretty important. So let's worry about that instead of the offensive line and being complaining in, in all the comments over here on YouTube, guys. Yeah. Um, we're going to we're gonna try to – you know, Keely's not here anymore, so we can keep the show a little tighter. She was just – she ran a really loose <laughs> ship. Now, we've – tip of the cap, fight a cap on. We missed you, Keely. Uh, so it's it's just weird sitting in this chair doing uh, Keely's job. I wanted – like, but the you guys talked about the Portal King stuff with Lane Kiffin, which was really funny. He's awesome – on social media. I did actually Sirius XM, Sirius XM uh, satellite radio this morning for the SEC channel. And we were talking about Lane Kiffin and this was before getting Jackson Dart and Michael Trigg. This was before we knew Caleb Williams was coming to USC, but uh, they took over the portal King thing. And this was a, a funny, I'm going to, there's like, 
it's a it's a picture it's hard to fit on the screen so i'm kind of showing you in three spots but everyone taking little pictures with this little uh transfer portal with caleb williams in the middle with his heisman trophy and stuff but all the all 13 signees for usc you can see all of them uh doing the transfer portal stuff but i don't i mean i don't know what you guys think but I think for Lincoln Riley, this is something you needed to turn the roster over as quickly as you could, and the easiest way to do that was going to be the transfer portal. There just wasn't a whole lot of time when he got hired to bringing in a class. He got some really good pieces for that 2022 class, but the best way to do it is going to be through the transfer portal. And he said it's going to continue on until August, and I believe him at that. I don't think we're going to see this kind of turnover through the transfer portal going forward. I think they're going to try to acquire most people out of High school. I don't know. What do you think, Gerard, going forward? You mean going forward in terms of the 2023 class? Yeah, 23 and beyond. Class. Like, this is the year you needed to get more, you know, you needed to turn the roster over quickly, but you still have a lot of time. Yeah, I, I don't think that's necessarily going to be sustainable in terms of if you're trying to build a culture and you're trying to build a program. I think you definitely need to go after high school kids and you need to get them early and you need to get them for three years at the minimum. I think... Obviously, the transfer portal is really great for doing what USC is doing right now, but there are going to be certain players that come in that have maybe more of a mercenary type of attitude, and you're trying to build a culture, and you're building it with guys that maybe just want to be one and done. So certainly, I think the 2023 class could be an epic year from the traditional high school football prospect standpoint. I think that they have some tremendous uh, commitments already. Malachi Nelson, five-star quarterback, number two nationally right now. Um, one of the best quarterbacks in the nation and has been probably one of the best quarterbacks that we've seen come through in quite some time. Um, he's a bit of a program setter, sort of like Caleb Williams is. And he and Caleb Williams are very close. And I was talking a little bit um, to uh, Malachi's dad this week. And, you know, he talked a little bit about being close with Caleb and liking Caleb and, and liking uh, Malachi playing behind Caleb and, and sort of watching him and, and being able to learn from him as a player. And so I think that's very good for Malachi and for the future of USC. Makai Lemon, who is Malachi's um, teammate, who's a receiver, also plays some defensive back, um, two five stars right out of the bat. And I think that class that they were building at Oklahoma is going to carry over somewhat to USC. And with USC, obviously, because you have more local talent and you have more players that are local, I think it's going to be that much easier if USC puts a promising product on the field. You know, that's always the, the second shoe to drop. We can talk about all the hype and talk about transfers and people already talking about maybe USC is a surprise uh, potential player for the college football playoff next season. I think that's, you know, getting a little ahead of ourselves. We still have to see how this team comes together and we have to see what the finishing product is going to be when you actually get the fall camp. Um, but like I said, I think this is not a finished product. In USC still, they have some holes I think they want to fill, and they have some players that they want to go after. And, um, you know, it, it could be another, you know, a second half to uh, the the class that comes after April, after spring ball. Uh, so we'll see how that comes together. But I do think uh, during, you know, when we're talking about overall the future and building, I do think, yeah, they want to go heavier on high school prospects and you really just want to do basically what Alabama does. And you just want to sort of plug and play those players that are at positions where you feel like you can get an immediate impact player uh, that can help you win next year. And then you sort of look forward with your high school players. 
And one of the things I think USC has done a really good job so far in their transfer, building this transfer class is they've addressed needs. They, you know, you lose both your cornerbacks to the NFL. You lose your primary backup in Jaden Williams. They went out and got two uh, potential starting cornerbacks. You need some more help in middle linebacker after losing Kanai Malga to the NFL. You go out and get Shane Lee. You need edge help after losing Drake Jackson, Hunter Eccles, Juliana Falanico, Romello Height. You know, they've gone out and addressed areas where they have deficiencies. Wide receiver group was not dynamic last year. Drake London was amazing. Everybody else was okay, if that. Uh, so they went out and addressed that. Running back, you lose Keonta Ingram, you lose Revive Malapai. You go out and, and get Die. You go out and get Austin Jones. You know, those are two guys that have experience, and I think they're going to be really important to be, you know, to guide Relique Brown because both those guys catch the ball in the backfield as well. So I think they've done a really good job of going and addressing some of the needs. Are there, is there still work to be done? Yes. Let's not say that there's not. There's still work to be done. The defensive line in particular, finding another pass rusher I think is big for them. Uh, so those are areas they're still going to be working to improve. But as this roster continues to turn over, this month, the last month, January, February, are two huge months for USC. Because this is where it all starts. It starts with all those workouts, building that culture. And I think it's really important. They have 13 transfers. Caleb Williams arriving, being on campus today. All 13 are enrolled in classes and should be eligible to participate in the spring. I've been told, I think Bobby Haskins, there's a little bit of question. I think he's got a little bit of a foot injury. But everyone else should be good to go from what I've been told. So that's... 13 guys that you're getting out there to practice with. And obviously USC is going to be a little bit low on numbers in the practice. So you're going to get a lot of reps for guys as well. So I think it's really big. It starts right now to determine how quickly you can turn around the culture, turn around the roster and turn around the potential of this team next year. Is this going to be a Utah situation? Utah has this great culture. You bring in a number of transfers, a little bit of discontinued, uh, discontinued, Continuation there from what they had had, the quarterback issue when they finally made the change to Cameron Rising, then things came on. Or if you're USC, your best case scenario is you become Michigan State. You got his type of guys in there and you saw what they were able to do, you know, putting up a tremendous season, even though they had one of the worst secondaries in the nation. They had a great season because they were able to turn things around the transfer portal, starting with Kenneth Walker, getting a star offensive player. May not be exactly what everyone's looking for in the beef category, but can help turn around your season really quickly. Uh, so I think that USC's done a really good job of identifying some needs so far. And, you know, if they can get things, you know, this the last month and this month, if, uh, if things come together really well, and it sounds like everyone I've talked to around the program, a lot of positive vibes right now. And obviously that's usually going to be the case when you, you know, you get new coaching staff and there's a lot of hype and a lot of expectation now and a lot of, you know, excitement, but, you know, we'll see where they go. And then once they get into spring, how things kind of progress from there. But I think the last two months uh, or last month and this month are really big for USC's potential next year, whether it's a, a nine win season or even that dark horse college football playoff. Yeah. Well, I think we uh, discussed this as much as we possibly can. Let's get to some questions and uh, we'll wrap this up before the top of the hour, but we really appreciate, we appreciate everyone that's been, Logged in. I know we got a whole bunch of people watching. If you're at whatever platform you're on, hit the like button if you want. You know, that kind of helps us out a little bit. But thank you for joining us live. I know it was an impromptu uh, live show. And our first one, again, without Keely. But we'll, 
We'll have a regular show schedule and stuff going forward for Tunnel Vision and all of the podcasts. We're just trying to figure all that stuff out now. We don't know the spring football practice schedule yet, so we'll we'll put all that together. But we'll make sure we'll post on social media and on uscfootball.com when we are doing these Tunnel Vision shows. I think Chris Trevino will be a, a regular part of the shows and stuff, too, going forward. So we'll get Gerard on. we get Shotgun on. Um, and we'll, we'll get it all going. But Shotgun, what do we got for uh, questions? Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Well, first, we'll start with tomorrow. Obviously, National Signing Day, it's not the same as it used to be, unfortunately. It used to be a national holiday, basically, for college football fans. Not the same, but... Gerard, does the Caleb Williams announcement change what we should expect from National Signing Day tomorrow? Greg want to know that. A couple other questions that fit in the same mold. Trek, what do you guys predict will happen tomorrow? And Daniel, do you think some this changes some of those recruits' minds with Caleb Williams now going uh, into tomorrow's signing day? Do you see any actual impact being felt 24 hours later? I think it's going to change the amount of questions that uh, Lincoln Riley gets from the national media. Um, I don't think anybody from the national media was all that interested in USC signing class until today. And so I think it's going to be a lot about Caleb Williams. I think if you want to talk about timing, I think that sort of plays into the narrative that USC wanted to get this done before signing day. really have something to talk about with signing day. The early signing day was the vast majority of the class, a very small class. 
really only a handful of players that are impact players that you're looking at. And we knew that coming out of the early signing day, this was going to be a small high school football class. So the transfers are going to take the stage and that's going to take the majority, I think, of interest from everybody because it, it is a new thing. You know, this is a new thing for USC, but this is a new thing for college football. And now you bring in uh, certainly the marquee player of the class. And we have to think of it that way. It is the class transfers and recruits out of high school being Caleb Williams. They're going to talk a lot about him tomorrow. So that, that's going to be the showcase that will shadow everything. Uh, there's not going to be, I think, a lot of big surprises or big names. The big fish that's still out there is Josh Connerly Jr. Uh, 6'5", 280-pound offensive tackle from Rainier Beach up in Seattle, uh, Washington. Five-star, number one offensive tackle in the nation. He is going to be the 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 real get that uh, USC has to push for. And that's not going to happen until March. He's not going to sign until March. He's probably not going to officially visit USC until March. Now, he did visit USC unofficially uh, five or six times during the season. He got to see a lot of bad football from USC. Uh, and he still kept coming back, and he still had a lot of interest. So now USC has to flip that and show him, okay, all the good things, all the factors that had you interested in the program, even though the football was not up to par, now we're going to get the football up to par. Now we have the details situated. Now we have the quarterback, and we have a plan going forward, and you're a big plan. You're a big part of that plan. And so Josh Connolly Jr. is really the big name that's still floating around out there. And certainly with USC, they've whiffed the last three cycles on offensive linemen, and particularly a marquee left tackle. And so he's that guy that's still out there, but he is not going to sign until uh, probably March. And so we're going to have to wait a little bit for that to play out. Yeah, I got to see him in uh, Hawaii at the Polynesian Bowl, and uh, he was only there for one day. He came in later, so we got to see one practice, wasn't in pads. But all the scouts I talked to, just watching him, he just looked like a ready-made like NFL kind of left tackle. And so he really impressed everyone out there. There's a reason why he's the top offensive tackle in the country. So obviously, if Lincoln Riley can haul him in later on uh, next month, uh, that would be a big get. Yeah, definitely. Connerly's the the number one target out there, and he's a guy that maybe he can come in, and maybe if he doesn't start it right away, you get him a couple series, and he works his way in. There's been a lot of talk, continued talk about the offensive line in in the YouTube discussion, at least, and talking about how the offensive line's terrible. Like I don't know what what you guys are watching. Because USC didn't finish in the red zone is not because the offensive line was terrible. That's all I'm going to say on it right now. But back to the offensive line with some of the questions. Brian wanted to know, are we playing seven on seven now? People are delusional with all these skill positions and zero emphasis on line protection. Again, USC recruited Andrew Boyes back. They recruited Brett Nealon back. So that's almost like two additions in the transfer portal. If you want to look at it that way, then USC has three offensive linemen in, the, in their class and they have two defense alignment in their class. They're also going to be adding back Brandon Peely, uh, who looks as healthy and has been doing some of the workouts. So I think on the defensive side, you're going to get a little bit of, uh, of a boost there as well. But, Gerard, obviously people want to know about the linemen. What are the plans? And I thought SC Neal had a great question. What are the plans for the big uglies on both sides of the ball? Most of the offensive line will be gone after the 2022 season. So looking forward, what are kind of the plans for the, for the big uglies? Well, I think the plans going forward is to recruit a lot better out of the high school uh, ranks. That's That's got to be the plan going forward. Yes, you want to get more offensive linemen, I think, out of the portal. I think they would like to supplement and to find some more players. Uh, but truth of the matter is, I mean, USC is still pretty young. I mean, they've got a little bit of a backlog of offensive linemen when you're looking at 
just the depth chart. I mean, you're looking at uh, a, a big class of sophomores that are sitting there, and there's some guys there that have some potential. There's some guys like Jason Rodriguez we have not seen at all. And, and this is sort of the litmus test for a good coaching staff is players that were decent players coming out of high school that had some potential that sort of got lost in the shuffle. How do those guys develop? I, I really see it as optimistic when I hear that Josh Henson and Lincoln Riley are optimistic about players that are on the team right now. It's very easy to come in as a new coaching staff and just look at the current roster and say, oh, they're all terrible. We just, we, you know, we have no talent on this team. We've got to recruit. Pete Carroll didn't do that. Pete Carroll came in and had guys like Champ Simmons playing like they were all conference players. Jason Leach, he made so many players better. You saw improvement from guys like Kareem Kelly, uh, Sultan McCullough, players that were overlooked and discarded basically by the fan base because they were not productive during Paul Hackett's era. So I think you have to, you can talk all you want about, you know, the, the turnover with the roster and the, tra and the transfers coming in, making a big impact. But USC is still going to have to win with the majority of the players that were on the roster from last year. They're still going to have to win, and they're not going to win unless those players improve. So I think it's optimistic when you hear that there's, you know, more offensive line play that they like coming in than people really realize. I think one guy just to throw out there in terms of linemen that I, I really, I mean, I love. I watched this film. I don't know the whole story. But Earl Barquette, coming from TCU, was a guy that actually signed during the early signing period and came to USC before they really had a defensive line coach. At that point in time, we thought Jamar Kane was going to be the defensive line coach coming over from Oklahoma. He ends up going to LSU, and they bring in uh, Sean Nua, who comes from Michigan, who I hear a lot of great things about. There's a lot of local high school coaches that are really pumped up about him coming in. And I look at Earl Barquette, and I think about Alex Grinch's defense, and really that that's probably the biggest question that I'm going to have kind of going forward is, you know, how did that defense play? Oklahoma's defense wasn't great. Again, I don't know if the statistics tell the whole story. Uh, Rankings-wise, they weren't great, especially in the secondary. But they really did come up and play some – they played pretty big in some of those big games. But in terms of guys that just fit a system really well, seeing that Alex Grinch really likes mobility up front and he likes to use a lot of stunts, he likes a lot of movement with his defensive linemen. You watch Earl Barquette's film from TCU, and he's that guy. And he's a completely under the radar. A lot of people are not going to talk about Ork Barquette being such a big transfer, but I think he could be a guy that it really stands out for them very early uh, just in terms of how he plays and how quick he is and how he fits that scheme. So, again, there's still a lot that we have to see how it all comes together, um, you know, the scheme and, and how it works even in the Pac-12. There's a lot of questions, but at this point in time, like I said, there's optimism there with current players they're on the roster and probably more so on the front line than a lot of people would realize. It seems a little bit like the opposite of the Brett Bielema this past year with Illinois and saying, I, I got just crap players. I don't know what you want me to do with them. And then going out the next week, I think it was the next week they had the 4,800 uh, overtime game against Penn State and won that. But they won, yeah. Um, just a different tact there, you know, saying that I don't have anybody and then, you know, them trying to prove him wrong there. Uh, Speaking of the Big Ten, though, and the offensive line, couple questions with Jim Harbaugh being rumored to potentially wanting to take the Vikings job. Are we going to grab some Michigan transfers? How many players does Lincoln take from the Wolverines? Uh, Harbaugh looks like he's on the way out, according to reports. Are there any big flips you guys could see from Michigan, possibly Ooh. transfers? Yeah, real quick, Gerard. Yeah, I mean, we saw this coaching carousel. I think it was uh, Stuart Mandel tweeted 
It started like five months ago when Clay Helton got fired and you thought it was over. Uh, then you see some, you know, Miami hires the defensive coordinator from, I forget where it was from, but like there's a little switch at the end. If Jim Harbaugh goes in the portal, like that could start a whole nother wave of dominoes and, you know, potentially some recruits on the table and stuff too. And Michigan's recruited pretty well in California, but not just on the, the recruit side, but on the coaching side. I mean, that could really disrupt a lot of stuff that's going on. Yeah, we get caught up with the end of the college football season and everybody feels like that's the end all and be all when it comes to the coaching carousel. And certainly with the early signing period, it makes it more impactful. And, you know, we all have our opinions about that in the early signing period. And I've been asked a lot about that. That's another can of worms. But certainly because you're having basically two weeks there at the end of the season until the early signing period, there's a lot that went on and a lot of schools had to make moves because of that. They didn't want to completely dismiss the 2022 class, which, you know, USC did dismiss it, but obviously it didn't become a priority necessarily in revamping the roster. And they can do that now with the portal. But having said that, you do have that sort of second wave when the NFL season ends and people sort of forget that, yeah, there's going to be a lot of moves and there probably continue to be some moves with assistance coming from the NFL and changing around and there's movement there. Um, the NFL sometimes dips into college football and they take players, uh, but they also take coaches. And so that's going to leave some openings. And obviously, if you know, Michigan has an opening there, you're going to hear Matt Campbell's name come up again. You're going to hear Luke Fickle's name come up again. And Luke Fickle now, you know, obviously with there's no college football playoff that he's playing for and has to focus on, he will become a big name for, for Michigan. And then those schools may have, uh, you know, to, to make a move to hire someone. So, yeah, there's definitely potential movement there with Harbaugh, dominoes that will fall. Uh, in terms of players, you know, obviously USC can't recruit anybody until they're actually in the porthole, okay? Yeah, we're going to call it the porthole. Um, <laughs> that, that's when it becomes the porthole, <laughs> when uh, you have to dive into it um, from some kind of sort of catastrophic big change, and that would obviously be one of those things. USC offered, and they did recruit Mason Graham um, out of Servite High School defensive lineman who – they recruited very late, and they really didn't get on top of really seriously until the new, you know, basically Oklahoma staff came over and they started recruiting him. They did have him on an unofficial visit uh, just before the early signing period, but he decided to sign uh, with Michigan. Now, you know, he signed his letter of intent. There is that waiver year that uh, players can use to transfer. I don't know how that would work for him. I don't know if he felt like Michigan wasn't the school for him. They brought in a different coaching staff, different defense. He may you know, decide to petition to try to get out of that letter of intent, maybe that would basically be what we're looking at in terms of the players that are going to transfer. If there's transfer, I don't know, you know, in terms of the current Michigan roster, I don't know the roster well enough. And I certainly don't know the positions of those players and certainly what happens when a certain coach comes in. It has a lot to do with scheme. It has a lot to do with if they feel comfortable with the new coaching staff and what they're going to do. So, you know, that's completely unknown at this point. But in terms of recruits, Will Johnson is another guy that comes to mind. That was a, a quarterback five-star uh, from Michigan who has a, a really good relationship with Dante Williams, and USC really went all out to recruit him very hard. And uh, there was you know, some talk like maybe USC was going to be able to pull off the upset uh, because of Dante Williams. But Will Johnson decided, you know what, I'm going to stay close to home. I'm going to go to Michigan. And now, obviously, he finds that that's, that situation is maybe, maybe going to change a little bit. So – Perhaps, again, that's another guy that signed, 
it would be one of those things where you would have to petition or you would have to use that waiver year and actually transfer out after spring ball and after the death settles um, and potentially maybe he looks at USC again. Um, real anyway. quick, uh, it was Austin Davis is the offensive coordinator for Auburn that resigned um, after six weeks on the job. And then Kevin Steele was hired at Maryland and then Mario Cristobal just hired him away. So there's some like coordinator movement and stuff going on. Uh, but Harbaugh, that's a big domino. Like those are, I mean, you're going to see some things happening with coordinators, but if Harbaugh goes, yeah, then who knows? All bets are off at that point. Or stuff with offensive line coaches or defensive line coaches or running back coaches that were supposed to come to USC but didn't end up coming. <laughs> you know, those type of things have happened as well so far in this process. And people aren't really talking about those right now. But uh, I did want to point out, Gerard mentioned Will Johnson, great relationship with Damani Jackson as well. So USC keeping Damani yep. Jackson at home, uh, that could play into, you know, maybe his decision if, if Michigan ends up you know, if their staff falls apart or whatever happens there. And another thing, if there are Michigan players that enter the transfer portal, Gerard mentioned it's about relationships that they have with coaches and stuff. USC did just hire Sean Nua from Michigan. So, you know, maybe he has some relationship. Obviously, Aiden Hutchinson and a couple of the other big-name defense linemen are going to the NFL this season. But who's the next guy in line? Who's the guy that was getting some snaps and, make, and turning some heads a little bit but obviously wasn't starting because you had Hutchinson and uh, I can't remember the other guy they had on the opposite side but had two elite first-round guys that maybe wasn't getting as much playing time. Maybe he says, you know, if the new whoever the new coaching staff comes in says, I don't really fit here, but maybe I still fit with Sean Nua and decides that USC might be a place. So a lot of things could still be in the work. And obviously, as we said, there's going to be another wave of transfers after the spring uh, after spring camps are finished as well. Yeah, we have. Uh, I would also just add in, uh, just to add that Josh Connerly has Michigan maybe as his favorite oh. school right now. So, yeah, he that's likes a very Michigan good point. Lot, and, yeah, and that would change things with him to some extent, and obviously that would play in USC's favor as well. Yeah, we talk, talking to some people at the Polynesian Bowl, and I put this in the war room a week or two ago after I came back. A couple of people I talked to thought that Michigan was one, but USC was a close second. So if Harbaugh's gone, does that put USC in the driver's seat for the number one offensive tackle in the country? That could uh, certainly, certainly couldn't hurt. Um, we got like 10 minutes left or so. Do you want to do some rapid fire stuff, Shotgun? Or I don't know how many how much we have left. Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, still staying on Josh Connerly, uh, you know, but a little bit different angle here. Tim want to know how much does the addition of Lincoln Riley – Die, Caleb Williams, how does some of the pieces that USC has accumulated on the offensive side, how does that move him, I guess, in his recruitment? What do you think, Gerard? I think it, I mean, I think Caleb Williams helps. Uh, Caleb Williams follows him. Caleb Williams is very aware of Josh Connerly. Uh, at least it seems from footprint and the paper trail uh, digitally. <laughs> so it seems like he's aware, like, hey, I wouldn't mind having a future potential first round pick on my left side. And so uh, that will play in with uh, with Josh Connerly. And I think even having Malachi Nelson there uh, would help. Uh, having good players uh, that you're going to play with and guys that, uh, you know, you can, you can reference um, to help you in your career and make you look better is definitely a, 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 a big help for USC. And I think, um, you know, the running back position, we didn't even really talk about that and how, that's sort of been revamped and you get two veteran running backs that uh, are very interesting and in, in seeing how they're going to play off each other. And neither guy really necessarily a 25 carry guy, uh, but both very hard runners. And certainly with 
that is physical, even though not the you see it's a pack and you are in the pack you can reference those players and their success and want to be a part of that so I, I think this definitely helps uh specifically the player Gerard I Gerard, think you're breaking up on Gerard your internet's trying to tell you that's not rapid fire that's what your internet's telling you <laughs> <laughs> okay <laughs> sorry no you're just cut out yeah. there it's all right we're yeah, all josh, josh Connerly, obviously you know adding more weapons big time players want to play with big time players you know and you want to go against really good players during practice you want to play with them on, on saturdays and then eventually on sundays as well uh why do you think travis die came to usc steven s and i think this one comes down to you know hometown you want to come back and have the chance to play for your hometown, but really an interesting one, in my opinion, because obviously his brother Troy graduated from Oregon, was a multi-year starter at linebacker for him, helped win the Pac-12 championship, I believe, for them there. And then Travis comes in, has been a dynamic weapon for him for multiple years. Dan Lanning's not kicking that guy out of the room, so why do you think Troy, the, the Travis die and ends up at USC? Yeah, and real quick, Gerard, I think one of the things, the aspect of you talk about the home recruiting grounds, it's not just who you sign out of high school, but players might want to come back. So even if you do go off uh, to the promised land somewhere else across the country or up the Pacific Northwest, maybe by the end of your career, you're like, I'd rather go play, play back home. So having all that talent homegrown, it's t I think it's a twofold benefit. One, you could sign them right away. And two, if they get homesick, you can always bring them back. Well, we had Gavin Morris on the live show. And remember, he sort of talked about that with Drew McCoy yeah. and how, you know, you never – you never really want to end things badly because you never know when those kids go across the country like Chris Steele did and they just decide they have second thoughts and they're homesick and they want to come back. And he was saying, hey, Clemson, Florida, <laughs> go ahead, recruit all these Southern California players. We'll be right here and they'll end up right back with us. So, yeah, you're definitely trying to play the long game. And I think USC's done a good job of that uh, with having some of these transfers. They've actually done a good job of transfers even before Lincoln Riley comes in. They did a good job getting some of those Texas kids last year. Uh, but in terms of Travis Dye, I think he just saw an opportunity. He saw an opportunity with an offense that has been very productive, that has put uh, running backs in the NFL, and a scheme that fits him maybe even better than Oregon's scheme. Oregon's scheme was very sort of between the tackles and sort of ran him between the tackles a lot. And maybe he feels like he can showcase uh, his ability for the NFL a little more, being more of a receiver out of the backfield and getting moved around a little bit because you're going to have you know those type of players in this system. And this system at Oklahoma has shown – to be successful in that way. And uh, certainly, you know, when you look at Raleigh Brown, there's another guy that is not necessarily big, uh, a little diminutive, but not necessarily small either in terms of how he was used in modern day. He's a guy that was used mainly between the tackles as a runner. But when you look at him in this scheme, you see him as a guy that you're going to look at more as like a Tariq Hill, that they want to move around, they're going to put in the slot, and they're going to move him. So you can't necessarily just key on him with big bodies. You're going to have to key on him in space. And certainly when you've got that kind of speed, that makes it very difficult. Mark Watkins want to know, do, does any new tra incoming transfers that may want to come join Caleb at USC now have to wait until after spring with the ad drop deadline now passed? That's pretty much the case. You're not going to get any guys, you know, you're not going to get a, a jump of three or four guys trying to get into classes now. It's pretty much done until after spring is over. Uh, Ryan, a question for you uh, from Trojan NOCL. Any news from the front office concerning an increase in demand for season tickets? Thankfully, I paid for mine today, he said. 
I've uh, just personally talked to a lot of people that have been asking, hey, which tier should I get? And it's been going on. I need to, uh, so I, I definitely think it's there. The last time we've talked to like, you know, the Brandon Sosnas of the world, they just seemed like everything was an uptick. Just watching what we do on these shows, our podcast numbers are way up. The, you know, the viewers on Tunnel Vision, all of our, you know, subscriptions, we've been selling a lot of subscriptions on the site. So thanks all to everyone for that. That really helps us grow the site and, and expand our roster and, and give you guys a chance to be, you know create better content for all of you. The page views are up. There's just a lot more interest in the program. And I feel like from the people I've talked to, yeah, there's certainly a lot more interest on the season ticket side as well. Gerard, if the North Texas Twins, USC offered a, pet a, a pair of twins from North Texas, I believe yesterday, if they were to come to USC, would they be starters here or rotation players their first year? I don't know if you've had a chance to watch their tape. I have not uh, to see what, what you think of them. Yeah, I have not seen a lot of them, so I would not want to go out on a limb and say they're guys that are going to start right away. There's potential that they're rotational guys. I've, I've seen enough that they're big bodies and they're pretty good players. I was going to interject. You said you didn't see three or four guys coming in before the deadline. Going through the Caleb Williams thing and listening to people talk about the deadlines and how they really don't exist, I don't know. Um, I'm not going to say that they're <laughs> – don't try to sneak in maybe two or three other guys uh, before spring ball, uh, that that's impossible or that won't happen. Uh, I don't want to say that. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's that's a good uh, example of a couple players still floating out there that USC just uh, – they just offered. And they were slated, it sounded like behind the scenes of going to UCLA, uh, but USC offer is pretty big. So we're going to see if USC can get them on campus real quick. Uh, but these transfers – this stuff happens really quickly. It's very different than the recruiting process from high school. Yeah, there's yeah, not a, a three. Oh, it's not a three or four month, uh, year thing like it, it normally is in high school, where they, yeah. you're being recruited as a like USC offered a 2026 kid today. Um, I don't know how old that makes you guys feel, but that makes me feel a that little bit make old. Me feel old at all. Listen, I remember Ken Norton Jr. when I started talking to him about the Anthony Thomas when the Anthony Thomas was a freshman at Crenshaw, and he goes, "Man, I hope I'm not here at that point." How long ago was that? <laughs> yeah, it flies. It I goes believe, by quick. I believe the Anthony Thomas was a 2010 commit uh, for Oregon. There, just breaking USC's hearts, uh, fans' hearts on that one. But uh, you know, looking forward at a couple other players, you know, when you're when you're looking at it, DeAndre Moore, another top. 50 wide receiver decommitted a kid uh, today, I believe it was, maybe yesterday. They're all blending together a little bit here. But he decommits from Oklahoma, another wide receiver. Will DeAndre Moore join Malachi and Makai, a kid that is, is at Los Alamitos, where they're putting together a superstar team for this next year or so? Yeah, Moore might be headed back to Desert Pines in Las Vegas. I think with USC right now, it sounds like, you know, they might have a pretty good shot at Brandon Enos, the five-star from Fort Lauderdale. Uh, he was committed to Oklahoma, decommit from Oklahoma when Lincoln Riley left and has been uh, sporting a lot of USC gear at some of these seven-on-seven tournaments lately. So I think USC would obviously want to bring in Brandon Enos if they had a chance. He's going to officially, or excuse me, unofficially visit USC in March and probably follow up with maybe official visit during the summer, depending on how that unofficial visit goes during the spring. They should have some big-time players come coming through spring ball in March. So that's going to be a little bit of a feeler for what they can do out of state and how much interest level they're actually getting for some of these kids that are out of state that are four-star, five-star players. And we have to remember, you know, Oklahoma, they had Makai Lemon and they had Enos uh, committed along with DeAndre Moore. 
But now you bring Zachariah Branch into the mix, and he's a part of the equation now, already committed to USC, a dynamic five-star uh, slot player, uh, one of the fastest players in the nation, a guy that was a junior All-Olympic sprinter. Um, so now he's committed along with Makai Lemon. So if you bring Brandon Enos in there, eh, you might be might be becoming a little full there at the receiver class. And USC has a lot of options at wide receiver. It's a pretty good class for them. So um, they're definitely being pretty picky right now. Yeah, and the guys that they brought in this class as well, you know, the transfers, Mario Williams, Brendan Rice, both those guys have uh, extended eligibility. They're not just graduate transfers, so they have a couple more years. Um, so it would depend partially on the guys that are already on the roster if some of those guys were to exit via the transfer portal or just to finish their career early as well. Yeah. But Brandon Ennis is a guy that has a different body type than Zachariah Branch or Makai Lemon. So I think you want to mix those body types up. You don't want all small guys. Yeah. Well, guys, I think uh, we'll wrap it up. We're at the top of the hour. Thanks uh, for joining us on uh, short notice, and thanks, everyone, for uh, for tuning in. Did you guys have any – Akili always likes – any last thoughts? Any last thoughts before we go? Last thought. Um, just to kind of take away from the receiver uh, situation and follow up with that, I think, you know, again, litmus test. Uh, some of these players that are on the roster now, Gary Bryant, uh, Taj Washington – we expected some big things from them last season. I thought that, you know, one of the keys for the offense was going to be how do you take advantage of getting those players down the seam? How do you get uh, Gary Bryant deep? How do you get Taj Washington deep for big plays? And USC just didn't seem to do it. They had the Drake raid offense, and they really couldn't really pry themselves away from that. I think that's going to be a great litmus test for USC next season. If that offense goes, you've got two very dynamic, two very good wide receivers and Gary Bryant and Taz Washington. Now you bring Mario Williams into the mix as well. It's a smaller group, but it's a quicker group. They all catch the ball well, and they're fast. And so I think that's what you're going to want to see from the offense in terms of being explosive. Those guys should improve a lot. Those guys you should see more production from. Blasphemy. No Kyle Ford mentioned? Come on. That's my guy. Kyle Ford is the one that is, is the sort of the, the wild card in terms of his health. But if he's healthy, he definitely changes things up. And he's the guy that's the closest thing right now on the roster to Drake London. Yeah, former five-star. Hey, what do you think, Shotgun? The difference with this Lincoln-Riley offense versus a Graham Harrell offense is that Lincoln-Riley likes to attack down the field, in the middle of the field. Instead of just the 50-50 balls on the outside, he wants to attack, push the, push the safeties deep, force them to make some plays as well. Um, and I think that's something that really utilizes the speed of those guys that we never saw in the Graham Harrell offense, never using the slot receivers, whether it be Valus Jones or Gary Bryant Jr., Taj Washington, anybody using speed to try to at least open up some intermediate routes with the, the deep ball or with the deep threat and then throwing it out there occasionally. Threw some slot fades, but everything there was on the outsides. A lot of stuff outside the numbers was the preference in Graham Harrell's offense. Uh, the, the last question that I wanted to ask you guys is – Current roster, current roster, we're not adding anybody else, leads to what record next season? Go ahead, Ryan, take that one. I think it's uh, – I'm, I'm pretty bullish on this stuff. Uh, I think it's like a 10-2 and two kind of record. I think USC can win double-digit games. It's not a tough Pac-12. The out-of-conference schedule is not that hard. Um, you know, no Oregon on the schedule, no Washington. Yeah, I think uh, I think you, USC could go 10-2. and two. USC should have should have been able to win ten games with the roster last year. Yeah, I mean, they won four. Look at the roster. Four. One, it's two, always three. Always a team that that has the potential to be, to win ten games. Now more games than that, you know, that's where you start to question. So 
Yeah, I mean, I I haven't looked at it. And, and truth be told, we still have to wait to see what the roster is. The question was, what's the roster now? The question yeah, was, with this roster. Is it even 85? No. <laughs> no, it's like 81, though, so right R75, now. R75 is better than your 85, right? Um, I mean, nine wins. Nine wins. Eight, nine wins, I think, at the most. I think with this roster right now. What do you think, Sean? Yeah, there's, there's basically the same thing as Gerard. There's, there's still some issues that they still have to sew up a little bit. And there were some big issues last year. There was a good amount of talent on the USC roster, but there were some big deficiencies, especially when they got banged up at the defensive, at the nose tackle position. Just, you know, they couldn't stop anybody up the middle if, they, if any team wanted to run on them. But my final thought is USC has their QB1 now. Caleb Williams didn't come in in a competition, even though I think Miller Moss is a very good quarterback. Obviously, Caleb Williams knowing the system, him coming, following Lincoln Riley, he's going to be QB1. I think Miller Moss is a great backup to have, you know, especially this year. We'll see what he does after spring. If he decides to make a move, that'll that'll change things a little bit too if that happens. But USC fans should be really excited about everything going forward. I've talked with a couple of high school coaches recently, talked with some recruits, talked with people around the program, and everyone is so excited because – it's just it, it feels different. There's that different feel now, you know. And you know, some people have equated it a little bit towards Pete Carroll. Didn't want to go all the way there, but said that they can feel that change in the momentum. The aura around the program is back, at least for now. And hey, you can win the off season. Arizona won the off season last year. That was not a very good look on on the field this season. But they they're producing and did really well in the recruiting class and whatnot. And if USC produces on the field, then you'll see them continue to recruit really well. And there was a question I didn't get to but said, uh, you know, do you see if USC is successful this year, will they be able to then go to the East Coast or go elsewhere to get some offensive defense alignment? And I think that's a really big key. If they play well this year, they can keep the top two or three guys home from the West, and maybe you go across the country and you get a Jackson Carmen or one of those big-time offensive Alex Leatherwood that USC was in the mix for. But because they were not excelling and not developing players enough, then those type of guys are not coming across the country to play for USC. But if you can go in and get a Leonard Williams or somebody like that type, they can be definitely game changers for you. But it starts with winning on the field. And I yeah. think that all starts with last month and this month in the weight room. Yeah. Shotgun's final thought has like five final thoughts, a question for yeah. everybody. And every, yeah, that's, yeah, that's what we do it. That's how we do it here. Well, guys, here's my final thought. USC football is going to be fun again. You want it to be fun. You just think about it. Caleb Williams is going to be in the Coliseum, throwing passes like Shotgun said, down the field. They're going to be running the ball. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. It's just going to be a better coach team, just a, a well-run organization, which we haven't seen around USC. You're going to have good talent, but you're also going to have good coaching, player development, all that kind of stuff. But it's going to be fun to watch. And I think the fans are going to be very happy. They've been waiting like seven years for some fun USC football. So very excited for all of them because they're going to get that. And we're going to be able to cover it, which is going to be great. Um, so let's wrap it. One, fi oh. one final thing. Okay. Make sure you guys are hitting the like and subscribe button down Please. below. Please. Yeah, we appreciate all that. Uh, we appreciate Gerard Martinez. Follow him on Twitter at GMart Live. Shotgun Spratling at Shotgun SPR. You can follow me at Inside Troy. Thank you guys all for tuning in. Make sure you go over to uscfootball.com. If you're not a VIP member, get in there. 60% off right now. It's so cheap. You can get in there. A year of coverage on this team. It's going to be so much fun. You are not going to regret it. So to wrap it up for Shotgun, Gerard, I am Ryan. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.